remember that God is all there is. How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time you are listening to the show, I want to welcome you to Say Yes to Spirit. And this week our theme is hypocrisy. So there should be a really juicy conversation about hypocrisy, what it means, can you be a hypocrite and still say yes to spirit, Um, how have people who are hypocrites shown up in our lives, what lessons have we learned from it, and if you listen to us at all, you know that we will probably even talk about when each one of us has been hypocrites and knew it or recognized it in the moment or after the fact. So welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. If this is your first time listening to us, then um, you already know we have a theme. We have a theme every week, and we pretty much come together to ensure that we have a conversation at least once a week that reminds us of our commitment to say yes to spirit, that reminds us that it's not something you do once and then miracles occur, that it really is an ongoing day in and day out commitment to spirit that is showing up when we say yes to spirit. So I'm really glad that you have joined us. And uh, the other thing that is common in our show is that we always connect the dots with the previous show. So in our previous show, the theme was compassion. The theme was compassion. Just go ahead and try to connect those dots, compassion and hypocrisy. Well, yes. (laughs) Um, Leslie, why don't you go ahead and try to connect those dots? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Perhaps if I'm having compassion, then the hypocrisy of the other. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy of the other. Drive me nuts. And actually, I've thought about hypocrisy a lot this writing the show. But anyway, so that's my connected dots. If I had compassion, I have such a visceral reaction to even the words. How about that, Trace? Perfect. Yeah. So we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back. We have a caller on hold, and we'll start with our caller, and then we will talk more about hypocrisy. So hang with us. We'll be back in one minute.
Welcome back. You are listening to Say Yes to Spirit with Tracy and Leslie. And we're so glad that you have joined us. Um, we have a caller on who was on hold, but now your line is active. Do you want to tell us who you are and what your question or comment is? Hi. Yeah, this is Athena, and I'm an American who's living in the Middle East. Fabulous. Yeah, and I have been writing a lot about hypocrisy because I'm um, submerged in the Islam culture, and it's very different from, you know, the Western cultures that that I have have grown up in. Uh My big hypocrisy uh, gripe to them is how can you make women cover up their entire body their entire life, keep them indoors when they're basically from nine till they get married, hidden away from men to see because, you know, it's not it's not good for men to look at women because they'll look at them in a sexual way. And so this is to protect the woman. And so you have these women that spend their entire life basically hidden away from men and just because, in my opinion, it's like the man can't handle it. He can't handle his sexual desire. <laughs> <laughs> and and then on top of it, okay, you ha- I moved my entire life from America here, so I had to go through customs with my with my house. And they went through all my boxes and everything, and, and I said, well, what are you looking for? And they were looking for drugs and pornography. So I'm like thinking, well, I'm safe there, you know. <laughs> I didn't bring any of that. But then, I, then it comes. I I just recently found out that you can get pornography on the internet here. So, you know, Athena, can I ask you? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can I ask you why did you move? Was there was there something drawing you to that area of the world? Yes. Well, first off, I'm married to a man from Jordan, and we have children. And when the economy went down in America, we decided to take the opportunity to move over here for a couple of years and and allow our children to meet the family and just kind of save money because it's a lot cheaper over here. Nice. Good experience for your kiddos. Yeah, now they're fluent in Arabic, so that's nice. <laughs> and they know... Yeah, that is great. So, how have you kind of come to balance that? That you know that hypocrisy. I you know I think that's just, I think that's just wrong. But you know hypocrisy. <laughs> the idea of that that you know the women many times live their entire life without having even any awareness of what they don't know. Maybe is that do they not even know what they don't know, or is there enough of right. societies you know coming in that they are aware that they're being kind of sequestered away their whole lives. You know, the see, I live in the village, so I'm really getting the inside scoop here. Most foreigners that that you know come, they will come to the big cities, and it's like any city, it's there's it's much freer there. And so, um, living in the village is really like living a hundred years back in time. I mean, it is shocking that I can't sit outside and drink a cup of coffee on uh, somebody's patio who is not married, like tw- like my nieces, all my, you know, I'm a woman. I, I have to sit with the women. So I can't sit with the young women outside because, heaven forbid, someone see them, 
But I say, well, they go to university. So when they're walking down the street, men are looking at them. So I don't see the difference. You know, there's so much hypocrisy there. And and then to come to find out that they can watch, you know, young girls having sex and then take that mind over to another girl's house who's being locked away. It's just, it, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you sh- there should no be, be no pornography here. If that if they're going to make the woman suffer and be secluded so that her her man's eyes are, are going to virgin to her body, then it has to be that way. Or you cannot dominate the whole lives of all these women. Yeah, I think that's a great example of, especially from an outsider's view, you know, of what how we think of and describe hypocrisy. And one of the things that you know we. One of the reasons we have that as a theme on the show is then to talk about when we see hypocrisy or when we experience hypocrisy, how does our own spiritual foundation help us see it and uh, either accept it or, or, as Leslie said in the um, Connect the Dots, not be so triggered by it because we're grounded in spirit. Because, you know, the, the reality is, even when we see and recognize hypocrisy, we can't change anybody else. All we can do is work with ourselves. And so if we say yes to spirit, how does that help us do that? I think I think that's the question because I don't I – don't, it's like we can list lots of kinds of hypocrisy or what seems hypocritical to us, but the people who are engaged in it and who are involved in it, for whatever reason – may think that it's okay. Yeah, have you seen any any influence that you've had, Athena, maybe even one-on-one with different men, you know, just like maybe one neighbor that you've been able to have conversations with to maybe engage in changing, opening their minds to a different way of thinking, or do you find yourself just kind of surrounded by it and feeling fairly powerless by how big it is and hanging out at your house with your husband and saying, I hope the economy gets better in America so I can go back. <laughs> or, you know, what, how are you kind of handling it? Well, you know, it's it's both ways because I'm very, you know, spiritual as well and have been on this quest of, you know, looking at the signs and looking within and, and all of that for many years. And so coming here has been the biggest spiritual test, I'll tell you. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and um, I have found that, Yes, I I definitely need to not get bothered by it because it does piss me off. There's a lot of things that piss me off. But I do believe that I have a purpose here because I just, when I followed how I got here through my life, which is it's a long story, but it's, there's so many, it's, I could see life pushing me here at this moment in time. And so I'm thinking if I plant the seed, then at least get people thinking, like pointing out some of these things. Like another one, for example, you know, it's supposedly in the Quran, it's, um, there's a story about Muhammad um, loving cats and, and saying that the cat should be treasured and he goes to great, great, uh, in the story he protects the cat. And, and here I see the worst treatment of cats of my life. You know, I mean, they, oh. they're they all shunned. They're they are homeless. They're feeding out of dumpsters. People, kids purposely light the dumpsters on fire. They throw rocks at them. It's terrible. And yet they're a cat lover now. I'm really upset. See, now <laughs> I'm okay with the other. But now I'm and really kind of, that's wild. 
I know. And then they go, you have these super duper duper religious ones. Because I know like all of humanity can't be perfect. I understand that. But then I'm just expecting if you're going to take your entire life, dedicate it to I am a holy man uh, or woman, and I go to the mosque, I, you know, I wear the outfit, I grow my long beard, I pray five times a day, and you need to respect me because this is who I am, yet they turn around and throw rocks at a cat. It, to me, that's another hypocritical situation. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's so interesting to me because I think, you know, I think uh, hypocrisy is a great topic for us to have on the show because regardless of whether it's Islam or Christianity or Catholicism or, you know, it doesn't really matter what the, in every in every uh, religious group, we can easily pick out things that are commonly done or, you know, maybe not in every city and every town, but are done. And you think these are spiritual leaders. These are the spiritual leaders, and they're supposed to be setting an example. Um, and it, so it is challenging, and I, I don't think that it's limited, you know, to Islam in the Middle East. So we can look in any city in any country and see a pattern that we don't like. And the question takes us back to um the question takes us back to, so what do we choose to do? And what I love, one of the things I love most, Athena, about what you said was that it is an opportunity for you to look at your own religious grounding, your own spiritual foundation, and make a choice about how you are going to show up in response to what you see as hypocritical behavior. And that is really powerful. Thank yeah, you. and I really appreciate that, and I appreciate being brought back to the thought of, you know, that it is in every religion, and I have a um, totally. really uh, interesting story of a hypocrisy in a church here in the big city of Dallas, Texas, that I attended for years, uh, several years ago, with a minister that I knew to be completely hypocritical, because I knew different parts of his world in the social world, and then I watched him on the uh, pulpit each Sunday morning, and he was almost dangerously hypocritical because he was, in my thinking, because he was really um, uh, leading with kind of a tyrannical uh, hand in the church. Things had to be kind of be done his way in the church, yet he was living a very un-Christian, this was a Christian church I was going to, uh, life, and um, and I saw people, it was almost like cult-like, and I saw people kind of, turning, giving up some of their personal power to him because he had this image in the pulpit and he had this draw in this very large congregation. So if you ever have listened to this show, Athena, you know I have a flair for the dramatic, but I was uh, I was uh, determined to um, help people see his hypocrisy. I'm going to be the one who pulls the curtain back and shows the Wizard of Oz is just... I didn't want to be the only one that knew. You know, I thought it was important that I made flyers. And uh, <laughs> That's a good idea. Thank you, Athena. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for your support. And, um, and well, of course, you know, I lost it? friends because huh. friends were really connected to him. And I and I tell you, I just, I, it was, 
unbelievable. And it was a large um, part of my social life. And, and again, kind of, I lost friends over it. And um, over time, I'm pleased to report that he was kind of discovered, but not through my efforts. Not through your pliers. <laughs> not through my pliers. But, um, and I was thinking about that this morning because, he, I mean, I, I don't recall a time. I can't recall time being equally enraged, but not being more. So I'm thinking that, and that always gets to me, that hypocrisy. So I was driving here and thinking about the true truth of what I know. Um, says they talk about the 12 steps and they talk about it in different spiritual problems. You know, there, like we've said earlier, that it's something within me that's being triggered by this. And I'm thinking, what is it? What? How? I must be this biggest hypocrite because I am so triggered by this. And it occurred to me this morning that over the course of my life, my hypocrisy has absolutely been in a desire to be uh, approved of, appreciated, accepted, loved. I'm so desperate for someone else to say, oh, Leslie, you're okay, that I will many times sell my soul, do whatever, be completely hypocritical. I can't say the word. I'm so distressed. <laughs> I'll be that H word, you know, out of my own desperate need to 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 be well received. So I think I think that's powerful um, in a couple of ways. So Athena's example has really been kind of, you know, this what's built into the culture. So there's a culture around Islam and around Muslim tradition that is accepted by a lot of people that seems hypocritical when you look at it from a certain angle, but it's cultural. It's not an individual, you know, seeking approval or doing a thing or throwing stones at a cat or, it's you know, it's cultural that sets up a lot of situations that kind of butt heads. And then, Leslie, your example of really more how does that then play out in our individual lives where we say one thing or we say we believe one thing or or we want something, and so we do these other, we take actions that either are in opposition to what we say. You know, I say I'm strong and confident and really good, but I then do things to seek approval from others. I mean, that's kind of in conflict. So I think hypocrisy works at both levels Mm -hmm. and our grounding in spirit, you know, gives us options at both levels of how to respond. So I don't know. Anything you want to add, Athena, before we um, keep moving into kind of a slightly angle, slightly different angle on this? No, I, you know, I totally agree. And it's it's definitely uh, a, a I don't know, a mystery for me to unravel as as I see it all. I I do believe in exposing it though. It's not not to harm, but just in a way that that to point it out. You know what I mean? Like are you realizing you're being hypocritical here because you're saying this and you're doing this and it's like you've got to be held accountable. It's kind of that accountability, you know. It's like I don't care how you are, but if you're going to act or, or say that you are one way, then you need to be that way can't go and, and be two-faced about it. And so that's my mission. Here. I'm with I'm you. And if you give me your email, I'll send flyers. <laughs> I, I can make flyers. You're so funny. Uh, and I was just thinking, oh, Athena, you have no idea that 
Leslie is just going to love you. As soon as you use the expose them and hold them accountable. That is so Leslie. You are my friend, Athena. We have to right the wrongs. But thank goodness you're there. I do. In all seriousness, I'm really grateful. And I, I do absolutely believe what you said. You are planting seeds. And without a doubt, you have no idea how they're going to grow. You have no idea how they're going to grow in your children in terms of what you've exposed them to to help them have a fuller understanding of how people live. You know, I have never been outside of this country, and wow, you know, your kiddos are way ahead in many ways. So good for you for taking that. Thank you. That. And you know what? My my kids are actually going to help because we also are appalled that they throw trash everywhere on earth. And so we're going to we're going around and making uh, little jokes with the locals. We haven't done it yet. We've got to get a camera. But uh, just about regarding the trash, you know, like when they when they don't throw the trash on the trash can, we'll like, you miss. You know, kind of just mess with them in a humorous way, but then kind of pop out and, and, and talk to them about, well, if there's a trash can here, why don't you throw your trash in the trash can? Why do you throw it outside the trash can? And start awareness that way and then just kind of throw those little videos on, on YouTube. Hopefully that it will at least make them take a look at it, you know what I mean, in a funny way without pointing fingers. And I would love for you to put that on our blog talk site if there's a way to do that. Is there a way, Tracy, she could let us know where to look for those? <laughs> I will. I will. I'm And I'm, I'm manifesting a camera. I, I expect to have it uh, any day now. <laughs> awesome. Great. Well, we're going to mute your line. We really appreciate your, your calling in and, um, you know, Stay with us and listen to the rest of the show. And if I you have will. another Thanks comment, press, press 1 and we'll reactivate you. So, yeah, that's a lot of places to go. I, I'm really intrigued by this idea of uh, when I notice and I'm aware of someone being hypocritical, that it's my job to expose them or to confront them. <laughs> You help, know, them. Um, help, help them. Help <coughs> them. I'm really intrigued help, by that because, you know, I'm so strongly grounded in the only person I can change, only person I'm responsible for changing is me. And at the same time, when people are doing things that are hypocritical that are hurtful, yes, then that's a, you know, yes. it's like where do you find a place? In that, how do you find when to act and when not, and what what does your spiritual practice have you do? And you know, I think I I, I am so strong. You're exactly right. I will, you know, step out of my way to step into somebody else's way that I see, quote unquote, you know, doing something that's not um, in their best interest. So by defined by me, and I get all of that. But I I, I absolutely. <laughs> feel like um, if I see something and I don't step in, then I'm accountable for the effect of it. It's like I felt like with that minister, if I didn't do something, that I was just as accountable as he was for the lives that were being kind of um, really affected by him. And I, I just feel so strongly about that. I think back to, you know, people in the... You know, things like the concentration camp and things. You know, there were neighbors, there were people. There had to be people that knew what was going on, and everybody that just kind of knew but sat silent, in my thinking, are as accountable as the people that pull the the trigger on the gas chambers. Because knowing it to me is then I then become responsible, and I've always felt that.
that way, and I think it's gotten me in a bunch of trouble, you know, in employment and in my personal lives and personal lives as if I have more you than pet, one. You're like a cat. <laughs> you have nine lives. But it has, you know, I've paid a price for it, and I and I get the, you know, I get the all that goes along with that that I know better than them, and you know, I get all of that that comes with that. But well, I stick well, with it. I mean, think about let's let's talk about the Holocaust, for example. I mean, I I know from reading, at least not from personal experience, that there were people who spoke up against what was happening at the early stages, and some of them were killed, and some of them were, you know, exiled or left the country right. for their own safety. But the people who we know most about and who were who became the heroes were the people who knew and their personal action was not to be in battle with not to be in battle with, you know, the big voice or the leadership, but to take personal action. So the family that took in Anne Frank. Right. You know, they were the heroes and they absolutely fought, you know, what they they in that sense weren't hypocritical. They didn't speak out, they didn't go on street corners. They said this is wrong, and here's what I can do. Yeah. In alignment with my faith and my belief, I'm gonna risk my own well-being because the uh, Nazis will come and look in my house, and I, you know, but I'm gonna hide this family, or I'm gonna hide this girl. So they took action grounded in what they could do, right? Versus grounded in exposing, fighting. Whatever. And either way, it was seems much more reasonable, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's interesting because, in that sense, their behavior now. That what's interesting about that is their behavior. If I was their neighbor and I knew they were um, against what was happening, it would look like they weren't doing anything. I'd be Leslie would be the neighbor who would be out in the streets. With the megaphone. With the flyers. For about five minutes until I got shot dead. And, you know, and coming in every night and, you know, exhausted and all of that. And I'd be just as exhausted, but I'd be having Anne Frank in my attic. But I couldn't tell Leslie because then Leslie would be going around saying, and if you don't want to fight with me, then the least you could do is do what Tracy has done. Oh, I wouldn't <laughs> do that to you. I wouldn't do that to you. I promise I wouldn't do that to you. Yeah, no, I know. But isn't it interesting yes. that we yes. really can't tell always right. by exterior behavior? Right. Um, so I, and some people sit in prayer and do their, and actually do shift, their consciousness. shift consciousness through the prayer and through holding consciousness that way. Oh, and yeah, that is absolutely. taking action. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I so I think I want to divide our time in between at least two things. <laughs> very exciting, One, isn't it? It's yeah, very exciting. it is. Um, let's continue talking about individual action and individual hypocrisy. But then after about ten minutes, let's go back to... Um, but Athena really brought up, which is what happens when there are cultural norms and values that send a hypocritical message, um, and and there are lots of those. Not you know, so right. I've got a couple that are coming to mind. But let's stay with individual right now. Um, every week it seems like I have a, a a weekly story from the women of Dallas County Women's Jail where I do some work, and I have a perfect example this week. Um, 
we are a program, a 64-bed pod, where the women apply to come in to be in, quote-unquote, recovery, to work uh, the 12 steps, to go to classes, to um, engage with each other in a positive manner to change their lives. That's what they kind of sign up to do and, and agree to do. And over time, we've done this about a year and a half now, and there'll be waves of women saying, oh, Sally Sue is just not working her program. Oh, Frederica is not working her program. And it seems like everybody else is not working their program. And we're having a big wave of that right now. And there are several women, four or five, that are really becoming sort of toxic. They're speaking badly about the other women. And this is such a fascinating thing. You know, there's hierarchy in every situation. And, you know, women in jail will kind of uh, assign their crime as being better than some other woman's crime. Right. You know, right. and that's really kind of fascinating to me. So, so these four or five women are really kind of picking on some of these other women and just causing a lot, a lot of difficulty. And yesterday I had a conversation with the whole pod and talked about how basically putting these women on notice that they have to start, you know, stop themselves from speaking badly. That's one of our foundations. But to also understand, and I told the story of myself and how I have said things and aligned myself in negativity based on my own self-hate or my own um, feeling of desire to be accepted. And so I said, you know, if you want to reach out and say, you know, I have been one of the ones that have been talking badly about people and I want to change, but I don't know how, and I'm, you know, it, 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 I'm all caught up in it. Because I think we can get so caught up in it yes. that we almost, and then everybody's identified them as the bad women, and so then what do you do? You just feel like you're just going to, you're in a cage, so you're going to start clawing your way out and, and hurting people on the way out. So I was trying to give them an, an exit strategy by saying, you know, I have so been there, and this is why I did it. It came out of my own fear and anxiety, and I know that's where it comes from. So don't don't let your fear and anxiety run you. Here's an open door to get help. We don't want you to leave the pod. We want you to stay here. But the behavior has got to stop. So it's kind of a both-and kind of thing. It was interesting because that's a very because you know when we come in the pod when the staff comes in the pod they're acting like they're working a program they're doing everything great and then we leave and then they turn into this you know really different personalities and so <laughs> you know the hypocrisy of saying one thing and doing another was really starting to tear the whole pod apart because you know right. when you're trying you're, to work right the and you're in such close quarters right. it's not it's even worse than you know. You go into church once, you know, even yeah. though you were there more than once a week, but the Sunday morning experience of, you know, this minister saying all the right things, all the righteous things from the platform is kind of like a once a week. And you go off and have your life and do other things. Mm-hmm. But in the jail, yeah, the staff leaves and they're living, mm-hmm. you know, together constantly in each other's faces and presence. Um, yeah, there's no escape from that. Right. That would be, that's like, well, that's, well, actually I have an experience of that. <laughs> prison, Tracy? Really? Well, <laughs> not prison. Not prison. But, yeah, one of the reasons that hypocrisy is such a hot button for me is because of my mother's hypocrisy mm. and how she was outside of the home mm. versus how she was inside, which is what came up last week and it how started we started the whole topic. Started, yeah, I love it. Started the whole topic. 
And and it is interesting because of that, because if I only knew her public image, her public face, and when even, the teachers were there, yes, you know, I when if I only knew that, I would have a completely different perspective. But what made it so strong was that I was living with the opposite, you know, every day of the week. So I, you know, in the in the Dallas County Jail, it's like those women seeing each other every day, you know, 20 hours a day, have to make the reaction either immediately stronger or to the point where yes, it ultimately blows up, right? Because you're exposed to this um, to the gap, the difference between reality and image, over and over and over. Speaking of your mama, can I ask you a question? Sure. Did you ever, as an adult, have a conversation about her hypocrisy? Did you make a flyer in your own I, life? I didn't make a flyer. <laughs> but, but no, we had a number yeah. of conversations uh, because when I was in college and in graduate school, you know, I was learning a lot about communication yeah, yeah, and yeah. conflict resolution. Right, and, right, right. I you know. And so, of course, you know, when you're in your late teens, early 20s, you know, and you think, okay, well, I'm going to use this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or it's right. like when you're going through um, training to be a therapist. Yes. And you're like, oh, I have these <laughs> skills now. Yes. So we we had a number of, um, or I attempted to oh, have, okay. that's that how they went? more appropriate. Oh. I attempted mm. to have a number of conversations with and. And, you know, you don't use trigger words like, why are you such a hypocrite? You did very good. Yeah, you knew. I mean, I actually, right. I didn't ever try to have those conversations until I actually had some skills. That's cool. Um, And literally, you know, and that was 30 years ago, and and I can (coughs) honestly report without a lot of um, drama or anything it's like that's why we don't have a relationship now because mm. I, in my 20s, made a commitment over about a four- to five-year period to to inspire, incite some kind of healing, not to fix her but to try to understand what was going on with her and to set new boundaries that if that wasn't okay to be hypocritical or, to, you know, with me. Right. Now, I can't manage what you do with other people, but, you know, don't go out and tell people one thing about me and then say, you know, something else to me or in in our presence. And so, um, yeah, after several years of working through that in a measured way and or trying to and having counseling myself, um, yeah, it was. It got to the point where basically we just had no relationship, and she just would never get it. I guess she didn't never. Would she ever acknowledge it in any way? I'm just curious on her side. Did she never see it? Did she say, "I see it, but I'm not going to change it," or did she just? Say, oh no, I, I was it. very much out of line and out of order and disrespectful. I got gotcha. you to even ask a question. To ask a question of what she, you know, what was her motivation or what was she thinking? Or uh, what did she think right. about? And I mean, not even. I mean, we tried all kinds of ways to so get right. yeah. to, and it and it was 
I mean, I have to admit, when I look back, it's really a miracle um, that at such a young age I actually could have those conversations and I wasn't trying to make her wrong or bad. I I really made sure every time the conversation was happening, I was either, I'm just trying to understand, you know, like how her brain works or how she thinks about things that would make her do A and say A and do B, Um, or it was a conversation where I would express how I felt when she would do A, say A and do B, and, of course, then that was a really blow-up because how dare I have any, it it was judgment. Opinion. Right, and I'm just saying this is how it feels for me, but for her, she heard it as a judgment of her and right. couldn't get to the other. Um, and and I do, you know, I don't have a relationship with her, but I have sisters. I had a, sis, a brother and I have a sister who did, um, you know, who were very close with her all through, um, you know, all through the remaining time. And so I, you know, have some insight that there are, at a later time, she grew some and and really became much less hypocritical in her actions. And I realized another 10 or 15 years later, when I just thought back to my growing up, that she literally was a, a drug addict, and I and nobody knew it. I mean, and I'm being, those are harsh mm. words. She took prescription drugs. Interesting. She, you know, so she wasn't a drug addict like on the street or heroin or cocaine, but she was being a lot in reaction to you take a drug, you know, you take drugs to wake up, you take drugs to go to sleep, you, you know, numb yourself out of the world, and she did have an image that she wanted, that she was invested in, who I think she really saw herself as, and that was this sweet, loving, generous, amazing woman. And then she would come into home, and her life, her reality of life wasn't like her image or what she wanted. I am your mother. And so, (laughs) you know, and so that meant she lashed out and she shut down and she, you know, hated anybody who was a part of that reality. But when she walked out the door... You know, and she never was able, maybe in much later years, mm-hmm. but through, you know, all the time I was growing up, she never was able to bridge the gap. And so it's funny, you're connected dots between compassion and hypocrisy. Yes. I really hadn't thought about it till just this minute, but I, it, at the, by the time that I realized I had to end my relationship with her, I had such compassion for her. Mm. It was so clear to me that it wasn't about me mm-hmm. and that she was angry and, you know, disappointed in her own life, and that's just who she was. Right. And I wasn't, I couldn't change that, but I also couldn't let her run my life the way she wanted to run my life. Mama's still alive? She is. Let's call her. <laughs> Have you considered reconnecting with her now? That's not an option. <laughs> I just... Curious, yeah. That's not an option. Oh. Um, and so it's really interesting. And, oh, that's not an option. And she has a <laughs> memory loss that it probably would be really frustrating for me because she would be 
sweet and nice, but she could because she wouldn't know who I was. <laughs> so that might be no. So I don't have any like you know. What do I get out of it? Nothing. So. Oh, bless your heart. Um, but I have such compassion yeah. that see, I couldn't end the relationship until I knew it was not out of anger, and mm. it was not out of even really judgment. It was definitely out of me choosing to live a life and have relationships with people who I can have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so the compassion helped me accept the behavior that was a long, long, long and continuing at that time pattern of hypocrisy. And I'm and I and I love that you finally got in you know insight or understanding or information enough to be able to see how that addiction for her, you know her own inner hell, played out and 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 that is so much the case you know those ripple effects of of addiction in family it is a family disease, and to have compassion for her, and and still you know have compassion for yourself, and um thinking about how how we sometimes don't have compassion for ourselves when when we're doing hypocritical you know I don't have compassion for myself yeah to be able to give myself that same benefit of the doubt and say oh well good you know there's there there are reasons that I'm acting like an idiot possibly <laughs> something worse you know and to always kind of Open my eyes to to the compassion first when the hypocrisy is because this is a big word for me too, the hypocrisy. Yeah, I you know there are not a lot of things that trigger me, but that that is one of the ones that I have a really strong reaction to, and um, and I have a you know experience too. You know, we started the show talking about well religious and cultural, but when I was when I was a teenager. It wasn't in my church, in the church that I attended, but there was another really, and I attended what was at the time one of the largest uh, Baptist, black Baptist churches in the city, and there was another really large, you know, there are five, maybe the five largest churches, Baptist churches, and there was another one that I knew several people who attended that church from my high school, um, and the minister, of course, was exposed for having an affair mm, right. with, you know, the married minister with a quote-unquote happy family um, w- was exposed in, in a huge way. It was in all the city newspapers because he was, you know, a minister of one of the biggest churches, so he was known in the community and all of that uh, of having an affair with the, I want to say it was the church secretary or, you know, Someone the, classic that it was, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it's like, was it really, or was that just because that's such a pattern? <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, a woman who was also very well known in the church, not mm-hmm. so much in the community. And, you know, and it really struck me so strongly because at that point I was probably 15 or 16 mm. You know, between 14 and 16. Let's just for ease say I was 15. You know, and at that age, you're really beginning to pay attention to what makes relationships. You know, why do people couple up? And, you know, just 
what is that about and you know what what do I see for myself in in that in my future if anything and so you know to see that this really respectable in theory respectable leader right. or this spiritual leader this religious leader uh would do such a thing you know knowing that it's wrong and you know for on so many levels um it really rocked me and i and it had a major influence on me turning away from organized religion so mm. not you know when i was 16 i was still at home i still went to church every sunday but that was the thing that really started me on a you know turning my back saying organized religion just like organized government, you know, city politics, you know, seeing that and seeing that, you know, then there were things, you know, by my own minister that I could see was, you know, it's like, well, that's hypocritical. And he's not having an affair, but he says this. And then, you know, I heard him yell at somebody down the hall, you know, as I was walking down the hall. It's like, how could he ever be angry? Yeah. You know, that's not a godly thing. standards we have. You that know. must be upheld. Of course, with a child's mind, you know. And so it was perfect. It was perfect for me because then, as you already know, but many of our listeners may not, then I, I left to go to college when I was 16. So the entire time I was in college, the first year I kind of, just didn't do anything but my own, you know, my own kind of growth. And then from my second year on, I literally made a point of visiting, you know, every other kind of, every kind of religion, every kind of spiritual practice, you know. It wasn't that I was like, I have to do something every week. But over a you know five year period, I just explored and learned, and really began to understand that all religions basically have the there's there's the same foundation, and that, looking at the philosophy versus the people in the church, right? And that yeah, and that there's this core that is so consistent across all religions. And then all of them have these things that are more on the surface that are different. You know, crazy the way, people running them. <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> the way that prayer is described, the way that prayer is done, you know, whether you um, worship on Friday or Saturday or Sunday. I mean, that might be different. But that core underpinning that God is all there is and God is love and uh, – no matter what path you use, you're going to get there, although some religions on their surface say you will only get there, you know, wherever there is, you will only get there if you were part of us. And it's like, okay, that's stupid. That's a whole other show. We right. should do a show on that. We're the only ones in heaven. We could call it that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's. I think, it, you know, the hypocrisy that I experienced and that I observed then led me directly to my own path right. of spiritual grounding. And it is interesting to see when you see it on a cultural basis, like Athena's example, like you were talking about talking more about that, and you saw it in the church, which is a little mini culture, and the effect that it had on you. And um, 
then how do we look at that and say, oh gosh, you know, compassion? If that's the if that's the uh, kryptonite to hypocrisy, you know, what how how to when we see a whole system that well, fails? Well, I mean, and we see it all the time in in the United States. Let's look at the American culture. Mm. So we have a lot of of values that are in themselves hypocritical or in conflict with one another. So we have a value that says all men are created equal. All people are created equal. Then we, it's but, written in the big book, isn't it, somewhere in the government, yes? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that it's like all in the U.S., all people are created equal. And we don't even have to talk about slavery. We don't. We can. We can bypass slavery and just stay in the present. Yeah. Okay. So all men are created equal, but then we believe we are a capitalistic society, and so it's the survival of the fittest and the richest. Right. But all men are created equal. You know that it's like how can you believe? How can you say all men are created equal? And then drive by someone who is homeless. Know that you have ten percent of the population that's in that is homeless. That you have forty percent of the population living at a poverty level. All men are created equal. I mean, yeah, it's hypocritical, yes. right? Yes. And and there are a half dozen of those kinds of examples in American culture. Right. So no wonder we're crazy. <laughs> right, <laughs> because we all we all know that stuff. Mm-hmm. We all hear it from the time we're born, if we're born and raised in the U.S. But in our daily life, we don't we experience something different, and it could be crazy making if you get caught up in it, and if you make, make flyers about it. <laughs> My piece of the pie, I always come back to what is my piece of the pie. And, um, you know, just a kind of a basic example, going to the Dallas County Jail every day, there are, you know, lots of homeless people, lots of people with their hands out wanting money. And um, and I and I see them every day. So I hear their stories. They don't understand that I, you know, heard the exact same story yesterday. That I just got out of jail and I just need a buck and a half to get on the bus to be able to go home. Well, you know, you've said that now for six months. So, <laughs> you know, that's... That's a lie. We've established that's a lie. And so uh, so then I kind of have made judgments in my head in terms of, okay, this person really is probably homeless and really needs the help, and I'm going to give them, you know, 50 cents for a dollar because money has been a, a, a challenge for me in the past two years. But I just can't walk by, you know. And I, and But about six months ago I had this really extreme experience that I was Irritated. I don't know if that's hypocrisy or what that is, but they were lying. You know, saying they're lying, they're lying, they're not, they're not telling the truth. So then I kind of went on this brigade. Well, I wasn't going to give anybody any money. Nobody got any money from me, and just, and not only was I not going to give you money, but I was going to explain to you that you said that exact same thing yesterday, and you needed. And so then I started feeling kind of unrestful, and I would get in my car and I would look at the path I would have to take and see how many I was going to have to pass. Right? And I was like. It was really upsetting to me, and then I thought, okay, I can't do that, so now I just I have to go back to just giving what I can get. I mean, it was a big thing for me for like six months. And then I had this moment where 
I'm in my car, and and many times they'll come to the car if you like open your door yeah. and you sit there. Then you know you're kind of a a sitting target. And so I tried really to just get out of my car quickly. And so I was sitting in my car, and I had this moment of compassion, and I thought, you know, I have really been in judgment, and you know the whole idea of what I'm resisting persists. So I'm resisting giving away money because I don't have money and I've got to keep money and I'm scared about my money and, I, you know, who are these people? And, you know, I even went to a detail one time with one guy. Do you know I am so very close to being exactly where you are and it's just you have no idea other people's lives? <laughs> Great, isn't it? But he yeah. actually became friends now. But anyway, so I had this moment of real, like, look at what I'm setting up, Leslie. Look at what I'm doing to me. Yeah. And I thought, you know, whatever I have, I'm not even going to think about it anymore. Whatever I have, I'm going to give, and I'm not going to worry about it. And in that moment, I had my door open, unfortunately. And this woman that I had never seen before comes up to me and says, you know, I just got out, and I've got to get my medication. I've got to get to MHMR. And she was older, and so I thought, oh, good heavens. And so I reached in my pocket, and I had a $20 bill. And to me, at that point, and still, $20 is like maybe 100 or or 1000 or somebody else. And I looked at the $20 bill, and I thought, okay, here. And I gave it to her. And I had this freedom. And I went back and got my keys out of my car, turned back around, and she was gone, gone. And if you know the Dallas County, yeah. still, it's a huge field of cars. You don't get gone, gone. She was not real. I believe she was an angel. And I've had those kinds of experiences before. But that moment, I was just washed away. And since then, I haven't had, you know, whatever's in my pocket, I get and I don't even worry. And I don't think about it. And, you know, who cares if I end up with them on the street? You know, I'll have lots of cats around me. But, you know, <laughs> I really don't consider it anymore. But it was really interesting. And their hypocrisy and their lying I got so caught up in. And, I, you know, it was affecting me, you know. Wow. And, you know, actually, I I guess, yeah, as, as I think about that, I've seen that happen many times where the um, – you become, you know, you become what you, mm. you become what you most, re- you attract what you most resist, but you become what you hate, yes. you become what you criticize. Yes. Um, wow, have I had that show up in my life a number of times where then when you see it, you go, okay, I'm not going to judge that anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to focus my attention on people who act that way right. because now I see I'm doing it. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, let's get that out of our, out of my consciousness, and how freeing it is—the mm-hmm. freedom that comes with just being what you know is the truth, and letting other people worry about what their truth is. Right. So we've got about three minutes remaining in the show. Any spiritual practices that? come to mind that could help us notice and heal our own hypocrisy. Mm. Notice and heal our own hypocrisy. You know, one of the women in jail yesterday said uh, they do intention cards, and, and one of her steps for her intention was to have one person that she would rely on to help her stay in her program. And when she was being inauthentic based on, you know, how we were talking about some of the women acting one way when staff staring one way not, she said she was going to pick one person to kind of be her helper in uh, pointing that out to her. 
And I know I've heard Reverend Petra at the Center for Spiritual Living in Dallas talk about having, you know, kind of one or two people that have permission to kind of step in. And so since, you know, I feel the need to step into everyone's life, perhaps I should, you know, try to step back and look at, you know, maybe there's one person I could pick to step into my life or, you know, give someone permission, and you know, to have that, you know, kind of red flag, do you see mm-hmm. what you're doing, Leslie, kind of ask, ask for God expressing as you, Tracy Brown, to help me remember God is expressing as me instead of getting caught up in some of the mm-hmm. things that I might hypocrite. Because I think sometimes, I, and that's, I guess, why I feel the need to make flyers, because I do think there's a level that some people don't know. And if you don't know, many times, every now and again, the flyer works. They're like, oh, right, okay, I don't want to do that. No, you're right, exactly. So, you know, it does every now and it's kind of like the slot machine every now and again. You get 50 cents back. That's why you keep putting the money in. So I guess having so, that one know, person. And, well, and so all that does is trigger for me something that you're the one who usually brings up. I mean, you, you're you a part of a Sondra group. Yes. That may not be meeting as regularly as it used to. <laughs> yeah, me, so I'm not there. Oh. Yes. And so, you know, I think that when you have a Sondra group or, you know, a, a group, group, a prayer group, a prayer circle, or a group, a mastermind group, that, you know, there's a small group of people who you are so connected to that when they hear you talking about or observe you behaving in a certain way, they have that kind of permission. And I can, I can remember a couple of uh, relationships that I've been in in my adult life that really served that purpose. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, when people are married or in a committed relationship, if it's a healthy relationship, right. that that's one of the purposes of, you know, of a relationship that really can really make that a powerful connection. And when the relationship's not working or not healthy, (laughs) it, you know, creates a blow-up. So, yeah, I think that is really cool. A spiritual partner. That could be an idea to find that person this week, to have a spiritual, oh, my favorite word with our listener, accountability partner. Yes, yes. All right, so, uh, well, that was fun. After two and a half years, we had never done a show on hypocrisy, and maybe next week we will do a second show on heaven, but from a different perspective. Oh, I'd love that, yes. So join us next time on Say Yes to Spirit. But until then, always keep in mind that it's up to you in your own life to say Say yes yes to spirit. spirit.